there are shows in this world that we will never fully understand understand except ghost adventures we have watched every episode to build our obsession our fandom watching alongside each other because no one we know really gives a damn gives a damn Watching Zack and crew catch groundbreaking proof of the paranormal, inspiring us to explore our own interest in otherworldly phenomena. This is our podcast. We are Paranormal Quintas. <laughs> How excellent! Hey, everybody, it's me, Leah. And it's me, Bethany. And we're the Paranormal Boothas. <laughs> we're super excited because it's an all-new episode, I think, yeah? I think so. I don't know what we're doing here. It's like we're in the future but going back in time because <laughs> this new episode is actually from our live recordings, yeah? Yeah, this was like all the way back in June, and we really wanted to release them sooner. It's just that life is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of shit was going on this year, and it was just a lot. Anyways, regardless, we're finally here. Oh, yeah. We're finally releasing this incredible episode. And in this episode, we talked to Frank, who is the owner of Curia Arcanum House of Curiosities. And next week, we'll be releasing the episode where we talk to Consuelo, who works at the Curia Arcanum. Oh, yeah. Very cool people. We were so excited that they let us uh, record in their space. It's such a cool space. If you're ever in Austin or if you're in Austin already, please, please, please go check it out. They have such awesome stuff. They're very welcoming people, you know, for sometimes when you go to like an occult shop, like it can be a little intimidating, but these people are just so warm and so sweet and it was seriously awesome to work with them. And I hope we get to work with them again in the future. Oh, yeah. So I guess here it is. Here is our our first interview with Frank. It ended up being a two-part because um, Frank's knowledge is incredibly vast. Oh, yeah. And I asked him some pretty big concept questions about occultism. So let's get into that shit. Whoa. All right. Hey, 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 everybody. It's me, Leah. And it's me, Bethany. And we're the Paranormal Boothas. <laughs> <laughs> we are so pumped, so, so pumped right now for a couple of reasons, right? Uh, Frank, let me know if I'm yelling at you. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. We are spending this lovely day and we are coming at you live and we are hanging out with Frank. Baby sister, tell him where we're at. Big sis, we are with Frank, who runs Curia Arcanum here in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Hey, Frank, how you doing? Hello. So Frank is awesome. And the first time we came out to the shop, um, we got to talking about, um, you know, just spooky stuff, occultism, magic and all kinds of things. And his knowledge is just so vast that I was like, we have to talk to him again. Uh, So here we are. And I also wanted to say that Frank has his own special secret society that's not so secret. (laughs) Not so secret society. The not so secret society. And it is the Order of the Fancy Hat. And I am now an honored and pledged member. I have my membership card. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you, Frank, for swearing oh, me in. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, to, official. Uh-huh. Official yes. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Officially non-official. <laughs> As are most things around here. Yep. <laughs> awesome. So, Frank, um, how did you get into, I mean, I guess these interests of yours, the occultism mm-hmm. and all the, mm-hmm. the, I don't know, paranormal stuff? Well, I guess first let's let's start off with the less serious and move to more serious. Okay, oh, yeah. so, so yeah. we'll start off with not so serious. <laughs> uh, so the the order of the fancy. Congratulations! Woo-woo. Yes, yes. Oh. Round of applause! Round of applause! Resume. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a joke. Uh, no, <laughs> that's right. Yes, tell us how this came about. So. Uh, when we first opened up this location here about two and a half years ago, I ordered about two dozen fez hats, thinking like, oh, man, who who doesn't want a fez? I mean, fezes <laughs> are cool, right? Uh, no, and, yes, uh, but they sat in the garage, and they sat there and sat there and sat there. So finally, we got patches with the shop's logo, and it just made sense. Oh, we could put the patches on the hat. Voila, we have shop fezes. So I took a picture of myself wearing one of the fezes standing in front of Toth that when you come visit us, you will see Toth standing outside welcoming you as you come in but I was standing in front of Toth wearing one of the fezes to announce hey we sell shop fezes now and I made the mistake of putting it online (laughs) because when you put something online that means anybody can answer and anybody did Uh, yeah so I got accused of being a Masonic Satanist uh, because in some parallel universe uh, Satanism and Freemasons got together and had a baby and it was a fez. I, I don't know. <laughs> but, Sounds right. But, but you know, and, and initially I wasn't even going to bother to respond. And and you know, my my wife, cat, God bless her, you know, uh, convinced me. No, no, you 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 know should should say something. I was feeling a bit of a smartass that day, and so I responded. Well, we don't believe in any of that. In the order of the fancy hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, I said, well. Shit, I'm going to double down on this. <laughs> yeah, and, and made signage and membership cards and the whole thing. So uh, I, I guess the lesson of the story is if you get trolled, use it to your advantage. You know, yes. uh, uh, but but so, you know, we did that for for about a year. And, you know, and then uh, the Chronicle uh, last year put out their best of mm-hmm. uh, lists. And, you know, my my friends who have shops and, and other things were posting like, hey, look, I won this, I won that, and I'm feeling a little FOMO. Like, maybe <laughs> maybe one of these days I should actually, like, try to get something. Um, and I go to lunch, I come home back, and, uh, you know, I sit down in front of the computer, and I see you've won. <gasps> I'm like, what? It, but ma- what made it even weirder was you've won for the order of the fancy hat. So I turn to my wife, and I'm like... <laughs> We either won something or this is a joke. Hold on. Uh, but sure enough, uh, and what we won for was best not-so-secret society. And once I saw that, I was like, I never need to win anything ever again. I mean, when, when you've accidentally started a not-so-secret society, you know, just as a, a lampoon. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome. So, yeah, again, the moral of the story, you know, when when... Someone is trolling you. Use it to your advantage. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Congratulations. That's awesome. And I am so honored to be a part of the society. <laughs> it, it is. So I think now it, 
it doesn't entitle you to anything other than <laughs> wear an awesome hat. I mean, let's, let, let's keep that in mind. But, but basically, we're just stripping away anything extraneous, you know, like mm-hmm. an oath or obligation or responsibility or anything else. But and just jump right to the cool headwear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And voila, there you go. And, and you get, it, it holds the headphones in place. <laughs> Yeah. It, it really does. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Sure I have no idea what I look like right now. No, you look awesome. <laughs> I feel <Absolutely>. awesome. <laughs> you look better than typical, you know? <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> so um, I hate to disrupt the flow no, no. because I should have asked for this earlier. I kind of need to get on the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Oh, whoops. Uh, I just, the only thing I forgot is to pull up the dang questions. Do you have like the PDF? I, I think or... I've got. Here we go. Okay. All right. Awesome. Ah, so uh, please introduce yourself. And actually, let, let's, so my full name, like, like my full legal name is actually Francis Houston Blakely Suchmel III. Wow. That, that is my legit Ooh. name. So That's it, amazing. It you were born for this, Frank. You were born for this. It makes me sound like I should own a bank or part of aristocracy. <laughs> no, it makes you sound like you should be the leader of a fancy hat society. There you go. There you go. Well, my calling is complete. Right. <laughs> well, Frank, we're wondering, have you ever had any paranormal experiences, encounters uh, at all in your life? Yes. Awesome. Can you tell us about him? Um, man, which one? Uh, so, so I've got one that's that's kind of cool. Uh, so I was probably, you know, and this is a pretty early one. Uh, I was probably about seventeen at the time, and you know, I don't even remember what I was reading, but it, it made reference to the I Ching, and it talked about how it was something that had been practiced by so many people over such a long period of time that it had almost taken on a life of its own, like that there was a, a spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, of its own that was was there. So I, I, you know, took it upon myself to uh, do kind of a, a little visualization experiment. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to try to channel, you know, this. And and so I envisioned, you know, and you know what would be, you know, the spirit of the I Ching uh, standing, you know, in my room and and just being there. And then the wildest thing happened. My cat walks into the room and goes and sits down right next. To where I'm visualizing this, and literally, and and talk about having a life of its own, you know, in in this visualization, you know, the elderly gentleman that I'm I'm imagining, you know, leans over and starts petting my cat, and my cat responds as if she's being pet, and I'm sitting here witnessing this, I'm like, what the, you know, this is this is pretty wild, uh, and it goes on for a few minutes, so that, um, yeah, in in. Then of course, you know, like normal cat fashion, my cat gets up and walks off. Uh, but, but yeah, that was that was one of the the more interesting ones I think I've had. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you had anything happen in uh, recent years? Yeah. So when we were at our uh, older shop location, which was over on First Street, um, we had things happen there all the time. I, I mean, it was, there was something going on in that area. It, some good and, and some benign and some kind of scary. Um, but even starting from like day one, when I went in to go look at that property, you know, there was a door in a secondary room that went downstairs into, you know, kind of a, a garage area. 
and as I'm walking through the space, just kind of imagining where everything would go, I'm in that back room and I go back to go into the front room and that door that had previously been closed as I turn around is now mid-shutting. I'm like, okay, this is kind of big. But my first thought was actually not anything parent paranormal it was actually like oh this building's been sitting here for a while it's close to downtown maybe we've got squatters so i'm going down there to tell them like hey guys you know sorry i'm renting the place now and you know so i end up doing what you always yell at people in horror movies not to do uh i go down into the basement alone uh without electricity or anything uh and of course i go down there and nobody's down there and you know so i go back up and i'm yeah, you know old building things you know happen, whatever. And I kind of write it off and I don't really think much of it. And then throughout the next weeks, you know, as we're, we're building out the place and getting everything ready. I mean, we had just a number of things happening, lights going on and off. Um, you know, my, my wife one night was, uh, sitting outside in the car waiting for me. And, you know, when I go to the car, she's like, hey, did you just knock on the window? And I'm like, no, when would this have been? Oh, about 60 seconds ago. And I'm like, no, I was like way over there about, you know, just shutting, you know, the door and locking up and coming, you know, down here. Uh, so we just had a whole slew of, of really wild and weird things happening. And now I can tie it in with something that's right behind you. Ooh, uh, so, is it the mirror? Uh, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> I knew it. I was uh, ready for the mirror. So, so what ended up happening? Uh, was the night before we opened in that old location, uh, I had a dream. And in this dream, the spirit of the house, you know, comes to, to talk to me. And, you know, I had been moving stuff around and cleaning stuff out left and right. And, and in the dream, they tell me, look, you, you can move anything, but just don't move the mirror. It's the only way I can see outside. And the way that mirror was placed was kind of placed at an angle and, you know, where that, the, the, bottom floor windows were were kind of like high up little you know rectangle you know windows so that um you know if you look in the mirror you know you'd see almost like if you're familiar with the story of the lady of shallot where she saw outside do the mirror anyway uh but it was kind of you know reminded me of that um so don't move the mirror uh and so of course you know when you know the spirit of the house comes to you in a dream and says don't move the mirror you don't move the mirror. Uh, so yeah, I ended up leaving it there. And interestingly enough, we had other people come by that were, you know, sensitive or otherwise clairvoyant. You know, and in one day in particular, someone had said, "Look, you know, you have a spirit of a little girl, you know, you know, hanging out here." And I was like, "Really? Let me show you something." And and so we went down and I uh, showed her the mirror where it has the name Sarah written and that is the mirror that I was told not to move. So I'm thinking if you are a child, you know, in, in the spirit, you know, child, you wouldn't have been able to see out those windows that were too high and it would make sense how at this almost diagonal, you know, tilted mirror would be the only way you'd be able to see out the window, you know, through, through the reflection. So uh, once again, you know, going to the moral of the story here. Uh, yeah, don't move the mirror if the spirit tells you not to. <laughs> Just leave it right where it is. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm sitting right by this mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. That's the mirror. 
That's awesome. So say hello and. <laughs> hey, Sarah. <laughs> I love well, that you brought it with you. Though. She's a friendly ghost. That's awesome. Um, now, another thing, you know, we actually did go through a little bit of a to do when we were moving. We're like, all right, well, do you want to, you know, stick around here, leave the mirror here? Do you want to come with us? And so it was in the positive response. We brought the mirror with us. And now, uh, yeah, whenever you come here and walk by the mirror, you know, just wave. It kind of looks like a kid's mirror, too, because it has, like, little happy face stickers. And Mm -hmm. it says, I have clean hands. So Sarah's got clean hands. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sarah, for not spreading germs. (laughs) That's what we can all hope for in the afterlife. (laughs) But some of the stuff I really wanted to talk to you about, Frank, Mm -hmm. was um, occultism, really. Because that's kind of, I feel like, what we talked about a lot Mm -hmm. when when we first met. And um, I want to know. When did you get into occultism and what personally drew you into to studying these practices? So we're getting into the serious question. Yes. The serious question. The heavy oh, I hitters. feel like I should man, I don't even have a tie on. <laughs> serious. <laughs> serious this is. Um no, so purely the definition of occult is, you know, either hidden or, you know, otherwise unknown. So, you know, that would be from you know, a million questions and definitely those questions that were very poignant to uh, I think the most fundamental question anyone could ever ask. And I think it's one that, uh, to a certain extent, we all ask ourselves every moment of every day. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Relatable, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but if you really boil it down to what, you know, drives you know, a lot of those studies is that, it's like, what the hell is, is happening? So I think a lot of it, you know, has to do with that. Um, but of course, you know, in that realm is a bunch of mystical and spiritual practices and things like that. And and again, you know, that uh, could run the gamut on on all the different you know interests that I've had over the years. Um, you know, everything from you know whether it's Taoism or, or what we would think of as Western occultism, which you know most commonly is thought of as a combination of like alchemy, Kabbalah, Hermeticism. Mm-hmm. You know, which also in Incorporates like astrology and divination and a million other things, mm-hmm. um, you know, as well as even uh, the works of Carl Jung, um, who very, very much, you know, uh, leaned on the occult in his own theories. Um, you know, for Carl Jung, when he's explaining even his own psychological principles, one you know, where he talks about individuation, that process of, you know, becoming whole, and I could go and ramble on that uh, quite a bit and how that correlates to you know a lot of uh, the aims and goals of a lot of these things um, but he relies heavily on many alchemical works you know especially those during the Renaissance era in explaining this process you know because for him he saw it as an alchemical process uh, that we were going through in this process of reintroducing, reintegrating uh, these divorced aspects of self. Mm-hmm. You know, so he very much was in line with a lot of these principles himself. Mm-hmm. So it came, it kind of rooted from this exploration of like, why am I here type of thing? Oh, I, 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 mean, I, I think it's at the root for a lot yeah. of people is, is, is what that is. But a, a lot of it is, you know, which of course that then leads on to, you know, okay, well, not only what's going on, what's you know what? What am I in relation to all of this? And mm-hmm. and what is the interactivity, the the almost biofeedback loop that gets created? Yeah. You know through this experience and and everything else. 
I love that. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, what uh, are some of the basic elements of occultism? Well, you know, a lot of it depends on who you ask. You're going to yeah. get a, a very different answer. But I mean, just going historically, you know, we're again talking about alchemy, hermeticism, and some form of Kabbalah. Um, but but some form of those, and again, you know, under that wide umbrella, you also find you know astrology and different forms of divination and, and everything else. And also, it would depend, you know, what there you're talking about almost purpose and goals and aims and. You know, one of the interesting things to keep in mind is, you know, when when the term uh, occult first really started being used, and we're talking about like 1500s and the occult, you know, it was the occult sciences, mm -hmm. right? And this was not, of course, the science that we think of when we think of today. Um, you know, the science today is, is very practical, you know, peer-reviewed, and very much tied in with commerce. You know, what's, what is done and developed and researched, you know, there's usually some product or something at the other end that's like, okay, that you're doing this for a reason, this is what it's for. You know, back in those days, you know, you just had a wealthy patron or someone from the aristocracy or, you know, the courts or somebody who is basically funding you. And really, the only thing you were obligated in, in most sense uh, was to give some you know, form of divinatory, you know, usually some form of astrology or something, and oh, this is what's going to happen, and you know, very John D, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> as, as he's, uh, as he was. Um, but, so back then, it was much more of an almost uh, philosophical, mm -hmm. you know, study and, and debate than it was, you know, getting into the hard sciences. Um, but then, you know, that's also where you have, you know, the genesis of a lot of alchemy. Uh, an alchemical text as well. And then really what you're talking about, we're going back to that basic question again of what the hell is going on. You know, this was supposed to explain, you know, what are the building blocks, you know, of matter and, and you know, everything that we're experiencing. But even more than that, you know, a lot of this draws all the way back to Plato and many of his successors. Um, and the reason why, oh, hey, I'm really going to get into the thick of it and have to explain a million things. Like, <laughs> it's such a broad topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way, but, but, but a lot of it deals not only with his, his philosophical ideas, but boy, how much time we got? <laughs> oh, you've got, you've got time. Okay. Well, we can, we can go into So when you get into the history, and, and it's a fascinating history, um, I, it, it, you know, because... In its history, you not only have like, okay, these are the actual events, these are the actual players, but you have so much mythology and tall tales and, and everything, you know, because, you know, even in many of these grimoires, you know, they're, they're falsely attributed to one person or another and, and given dates and time periods in which they were written, they were hundreds of years earlier than when they actually were written. And of course, of course part of this was to escape, you know, the, the ire of the Inquisition. You know, who, you know, if you were the author of a grimoire, guess what? You were on, like, their number one most wanted list. Uh, but, you know, so if you attributed it to, like, these other people that were like, oh, well, no, I didn't write it. It's 400 years old from, you know, Pietro Diabano. You know, he wrote the Tamarind, not me. Uh, you know, you could kind of sidestep that a little bit, then, you know, not, not get in as much trouble. Um, because to own a grimoire, you know, was bad, but to be the author of one, was just, mm, that, that really puts you in the hot seat. Um, so, you know, if, if we trace it back, and especially when 
the cult started, you know, a lot of people, you, you could most commonly go to, um, there's a million starting points, but let, let's just almost arbitrarily say Cornelius Agrippa's Three Books of Occult Philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, 1500s, you know, bam. You know, that's about the time you see a lot of that stuff going. And, you know, in, in that, you almost have to go to his teacher, mm-hmm. uh, which was, and I am going to butcher this, uh, pronunciation, so please, please forgive me. Uh, jo- Johannes uh, Truth Mias. Um, again, I am butchering it. Apologies. Uh, but he he was a really interesting guy because here was a guy who was an abbot, you know, and he went on almost this this quest to to accumulate you know all of these magical books and works and accumulated a huge huge uh, library. You know, uh, especially for the time, um, <laughs> so much so that it put the the put uh, some financial burdens sometimes. But anyway, um, but this guy was so uh, influential that he not only was the teacher of Cornelius Agrippa, but he was also the teacher of Periclesius. Um, you know, very very well known uh, alchemist uh, as well, um, and a lot of what we think of when we think of you know the occult really can go back to to this guy and and those two um so we almost have a trifecta going there um but a lot of stuff can can go back because what they ended up doing and especially in agrippa's three books of occult philosophy was to accumulate a large quantity of the grimoires and knowledge and principles that did exist and put it in one, well, three uh, volumes, um, or four if you take the fourth book, which probably wasn't written by Agrippa. But anyway, but but here you have the accumulation of you know the knowledge at the time, and and that was hugely influential for so much that came after that. Not only individuals, but also groups as well. Um, you know, so so that's the fifteen hundreds, and that was like a landmark thing. And then in the sixteen hundreds. Um, you have the publication of the three Rosicrucian manifestos. Um, you know, the fame, the confession, and the, the chemical wedding. Um, and these, these were, were huge because the Rosicrucian influence upon the occult, uh, I, I mean, that reverberates today. Um, you know, you see that, you know, starting there. And then, of course, you know, when... You have it really teaming up with Freemasonry around the 1700s, um, you know, and then in Germany you have the Golden Rose Cross, uh, you know, which had its relationship with Freemasonry, and then the 1800s you have the SRIA, which you know was a higher degree system, you know, the Freemasons, and then shooting off of that you have the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which, you know, obviously you know that's a whole story in itself, which I could ramble on about, and then of course as part of that was. Uh, you know, Aleister Crowley, uh, who then, you know, went off uh, solo and, and, and started the AA and OTO uh, from there. Um, and then, of course, you have these other side lineages like the Rite of Memphis Miserame, which then ties back into the OTO as well. And that was a huge thing. And then, it, I mean, it, it's just a huge, huge evolution that goes on from there. Um, so you have that whole lineage, which was uh very, very influential. And especially by the time you get to, say, the Hermetic Order, the Golden Dawn, they really pulled together a tight curriculum uh, that really covered, uh, in, in a lot of ways for the first time, for lack of a better way of putting it, a very simplified curriculum 
uh, pulling together all of these principles where a person could kind of go through and, and learn a lot of this stuff. Um, and then, of course, by the time you get into the inner order, the Rosicrucian influence becomes very, very obvious. Um, but uh, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this. I love this. Um, <laughs> I love that you kind of started with it being um, the, the definition of hidden, like what's hidden, right? I want to know, how would you define occultism to someone who doesn't even understand that much like who doesn't know has never heard of it doesn't know what it is like what is this how would you define it <laughs> well i mean in in a nutshell it's it's in a nutshell it would be looking at the more mystical aspects uh of these you know even if boy how how deep down the rabbit hole do you want to go with this <laughs> oh we're going all the way friend <laughs> see, see you asked for an elevator pitch and now i'm just going to go <laughs> no elevator pitch. You're getting a long dissertation. No, I mean, I, you know, making the the unknown known or the unseen seen. I mean, that that in the end is, you know, the purpose, you know, for the study. Um, but, but I guess one of the, and, and this ties in with maybe some misconceptions or, or maybe what it's begun or become or, or maybe with some assumptions of what it's become versus how it began. Um, you know, now, now keep in mind, I mean, there were you know, especially through like late medieval and Renaissance era, you had uh, a good deal of monks actually collecting like grimoires mm -hmm. and, and things like that, and and utilizing a lot of these you know surgical ritual practices themselves, and and they looked at it as a mystic practice. They looked at this as this was a way to take to go beyond just the dogma. You know, and, and that's also another thing, you know, when you're talking about things that are hidden or concealed, you know, one of the reasons for that was to keep it from the quote unquote profane, you know, those who would either seek to abuse it or uh, were deemed unworthy for, mm -hmm. for one reason or another. Right. So so, you know, you had things mired down in, in symbolism and, and all of that. And, and to be able to truly understand it, you had to almost have the key to be able to understand it, which was nothing more than just really understanding a lot of the symbology that was was being used. But a, a lot of this, and especially these, these early days, when you look at these uh, grimoires coming out, you know, late medieval through Renaissance, a lot of these are almost like, you, you'd read them and think you're reading a liturgy. You know, they were they were very much of of the church. You know, they were very much um, you know within the the Judeo Christian cosmology and and ideas of what it was. And, and what you see really interesting occurring over you know the hundreds of years of of its use and development and in various authors and writers and orders and and things is the introduction of other elements, other cultures, other other ideas. Like, for example, you know, come in the 1800s, you have the translation of the Rosetta Stone. You know, so you have a lot of, you know, Egyptology coming in and symbolism and stuff like that, especially, you know, again, going back to things like the Golden Dawn and the OTO and even uh, Pappas's uh, Martinist Order, which I'll try not to ramble too much about. Um, but... But you start to see the inclusion of these elements, and then by the 1900s, when you have the rise of the New Thought movement, um, you know you have these pseudo psychology, 
you know, pop psychology elements, you know, being introduced into it as well. And so the real question then becomes, well, how is it able to do that? How is it able to embrace every, pretty much every tradition, mm-hmm. every every idea? How can that that be so so versatile? Um, and and part of it is you have to break away from a dogmatic state of mind. You have to break away from this idea of you know when you're approaching spiritual or mystic uh, ideas that it is. You know, there are these absolute set in stone, you know, kind of thing. Because one of the things that, especially when looking at things in a mystic frame of mind, um, you're moving more away from the logic and rational into more the intuitive, creative, you know, or is um, uh, uh, Claude de Saint-Martin or, or Jacob Bohm uh, would say, you know, the way of the heart. You know, those those things that are more understood intuitively as opposed to rationally or intellectually. And when you start approaching it in that regard, then it's not so much about having the correct cosmology, having the correct, you know, uh, symbol or having the correct, you know, view of deity or, or anything like that. Because those things are all just the translations. Those are all just the different ways of looking and thinking about it underneath that or behind it you know rather you know is something that is beyond the rationals beyond you know just intellectual understanding and to be able to let go and be open and to understand that you you have to open up that way of the heart you know that that more intuitive sense um and to draw an analogy um Everybody responds to music, right? Everybody has a song that's like, ah, oh, that speaks to me. That's that's me. It speaks to some part of of your soul that's like, wow, that's that's a part of me nobody's ever like really acknowledged or spoken to, and that song just ah oh, hits it and, and encapsulates it just right. But everybody has a different song. You know, everybody has their own side. Not everybody responds to the same song, the same music. Everybody has one that's that's there. Now, that doesn't mean somebody else doesn't feel that way about it, too, but but not everybody responds the same way to it. And, you know, it's very similar in any of these traditions or any of these ideas or any of these cosmologies or deities or any of these things. Is it, It's kind of like that. It's like, okay, everybody is responsive to it, but not everybody's going to respond to the same one. So the, the trick is to find the one that speaks to you. You know, and it's kind of the same way, again, with music. You know, you go out, you buy a bunch of albums, or listen, well, now you don't. You go and, <laughs> you know, stream it on, on Spotify and find the songs that you like. Um, but but, but you listen to it, and when you find it, and that's, that's the thing, you can go out looking, but you won't know until you find it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you experience it, then you're like, but when you do, you know it. Yeah. You know, and it's very much like that. Um, so go around, poke around, find, you know, look into different things and find, find your music. Yes. You know, and that's really what it boils down to. 
I love that. And that's something that we talked about when we when we first met. It's kind of like uh, you find that thing that funnels you to the bigger thing, you know, yeah. that everyone is connecting to that thing behind yeah. Those, you know, those deities or those ideas or, yeah, that feeling. Um, and even when you do look at deities, a lot of cultures have similar ones, right? Oh, we yeah. all have like a fertility one oh, or yeah. one that protects crops or women or, you know. <laughs> well, there we're getting into, you know, Plato's idea of thought forms. And then let's fast forward you know, quite a bit uh, into Jung's, idea, you know, theory of archetypes, you know, and, and which does echo you know, Plato, um, which is this idea that there are the, you know, non-tangible, you know, formless, you know, for lack of anything else, calm ideas, you know, that form almost a framework, you know, and these are universal. And, and to a certain degree, you see this idea echoed in, in Jung's idea of universal archetypes, you know, and so, for example, let's take the trickster. You know, there's an archetype, you know, everybody has. You know, you've got Loki, you've got Cocapelli, you've got, you know, all those. Well, let's look, you know, something more modern. You have clowns, right? <laughs> but even but even within clowns, you have a wide variety. You've got Bozo the Clown, who's jovial and there for a good day. He's somewhat mischievous, but hey, it's all fun and, and good, right? And then you have, you know, the Joker from Batman. He's a little bit more yeah, malicious yeah. And, and not quite as good. So, so you see how... Even when you have some that are that are universal in nature, they get translated, you know, through through personal experience, culture, you know, all of these things until it gets to the subjective level, you know, of ourselves. And then how do we interpret it individually? And that is where the real interesting conversation, you know, yeah. takes place, you know, between, you know, uh, in, in that internal dialogue with oneself um, because yeah there there is a conversation going on you know by how they're revealed and, and how they're perceived um, and of course well that's a whole nother tangent <laughs> that, but that, that's that's a good <laughs> part two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of going into that whole conversation with the self, I can't help but think of something like chaos magic, you oh, know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where you're just kind of pulling whatever from whatever mm -hmm. and creating your own, like, ritual or version and sigils and mm -hmm. things like that. Like, mm -hmm. whatever comes to your mind. And, and I don't know, that's just kind of what, what it brought me to. <laughs> no, I, I love the chaos magic approach to, to a lot of magic because it, it completely strips away all dogma, mm -hmm. you know, from it. It's not like, you know, there's no gatekeepers there, man. They're, they're all like, go for it. Does it work for you? Cool. Do that. <laughs> um, you know, and it's largely that. Like, they're, um, you know, one of their methods of sigil creation that, you know, using words and rearranging the letters and even getting rid of certain parts of the letters and then, you know, doodling it a little more until you're happy with it. And yeah. then, you know, when you feel like, oh, okay, this is it. Got it. Um, you know, it is very much a personal, and again, we return to the intuitive and the creative rather than purely the logic and, and rational. Now, that's not to say the logic and rational is bad because, you know, a lot of the time, especially when you're, when you're first starting off, on a lot of these things, having some kind of almost formula, you know, to go off of, you know, it's almost like when you're learning music, you know, you, you don't just go straight into writing songs, you know, you learn some theory, you learn other people's songs, you know, and, and that gives you a familiarity, you know, but then eventually 
you got to break away, you know, and you got to make that your own. You mm-hmm. know, you need to find and develop your own voice in the art, right? And that's really, in a lot of ways, what this boils down to is it is an art, you know, uh, and you are finding your voice always, you know, in this art and reinventing your voice many times too. And it, as you change, it changes, you know, and, and continues to develop in that way. Um, that's why for, for me, one of my personal favorite rabbit holes that kind of go down in, in all of this is the relationship between art and, you know, the mystical, you know, and we see this through all of history, you know, and in a lot of ways, you could almost say that it is the earliest mystical practice there is, you know, going all the way back into, you know, cave paintings when they're like, okay, we need a good hunt, you know, and so we're going <laughs> to, we're going to paint these and throw the spears at it and good, you know, and, and it was almost a ritualistic, you know, activity to ensure, you know, they got some game, you know, that, that day. Um, but then we also see it throughout all of history through individuals and organizations, uh, um, Hildegard of Bingham, you know, the nun who who had the visions and polymath and brilliant, I mean, just, you know, hundreds of years before her time, uh, you know, she should have been born in the Renaissance, practically. She was just brilliant, brilliant mind. Um, But we see her, you know, through music and illumination uh, uh, manuscripts and the images that she would uh, paint, just brilliant, brilliant works. And then, of course, you know, we have uh, more obvious examples. you know, with uh, uh, Joseph and Peladan, you know, in France, uh, late 1800s in his uh, Salon Rose Croix, um, you know, the art salons that he would, you know, put on, uh, that he viewed these art salons as just an extension of the magical order that, that he had, you know, because he saw this connection between art and the transcendental experience, you know, it was just one and the same, right, right there. Um, you know, and then, of course, you see all the different you know, mystical art groups, especially, again, going late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, uh, A.F. Klimt, Klimt uh, a woman who practically uh, invented abstract art, uh, had a group they called the Five, right? Uh, and it was her and four other women, and they were all artists, and they would do everything from, you know, having seances where they would try to channel their you know, spiritual masters or, or whatever. And then once they jail them, you know, do these automatic drawings where they would, you know, practically channel, you know, these these others, you know, and they view themselves almost as the conduit, you know, for for that to come through and be expressed. So, yeah, the the idea between the connection between art and, and the mystical and spiritual is, you know, is as old as we are, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the misconceptions you think people have about occultism? You kind of uh, mentioned it a while back. You said, you know, people have them, but um, I would like to go into, like, what those are. I mean, even that is subjective, right? Because, I mean, like we were talking about, I mean, it encompasses just about everything. But I think one of, I, I would say is a misconception is that there's something uh, either nefarious or satanic or or something like that associated with it. And, you know, if you go into, you know, and actually look at it, uh, it's, that would be the complete antithesis uh, of anything that, that the traditional occult practices were, because a lot of these were, you know, trying to reach, come into contact with, or, or otherwise, 
uh, communion with divinity, you know, in, in however you would express or explain that. You know, whether, you know, in, in you know, a Judeo-Christian God sense or, you know, in, you know, higher self or, or whatever you want to, you know, call it or, or explain it as. Um, but, you know, to say that there was anything nefarious about it, I think, is a bit of a misnomer. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been those throughout history that... Um, had nefarious intent, you know, behind it. Because obviously, you know, any time that you start to get into anything of a spiritual nature, you're going to have uh, these individuals that are going to want to use it and exploit it for their own for their own gain. But to say that it is by its own nature alone, uh, I think is a grave misconception. And not only that, but to completely close oneself off to the idea of the mystical experience, you know, which is really what that kind of thinking leads to is, you know, when you begin to just wholesale demonize it and, and look at it as something evil and nefarious, you know, of course, the natural inclination is, okay, cut that off. That's, that's bad. Um, but, you know, in, in, in truth, it is intended to be something to elevate. It is intended to something to open someone up to the possibilities, to the experience of something more. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, however you wish to define that, you know, by whatever your cosmological or otherwise beliefs are, whatever your your music is, yeah. you know, and, and however you want to translate that. Yeah. And that, that kind of brings me back to the whole hat thing, because that mm-hmm. person who trolled you... <laughs> seems to think that this is a satanic right. like <laughs> and freemason at the same time <laughs> I, I and I think that's why my first you know reaction was to not even bother yeah <laughs> you know was, yeah so what are you what are you gonna say you know it's uh, who, who am I to dissuade someone from that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I want to, uh, we are running um, close to time, but oh, wow. to close this okay. out, I want to talk about the hat again. Yes. What does what role does the hat play in all of this? <laughs> what role do you want it to play? <laughs> I mean, you know, here we go back to the personal association, yeah. right? I, I mean, for me, it's all just kind of good fun, but... Uh, you know, like like most things, you know, it's going to have the meaning that you assign to it. Now, that um, that doesn't mean to say that there isn't certain power. There we go. Mm-hmm. We'll use a generic term uh, behind certain symbols and ideas mm-hmm. and things like that. But in the end, even if you're using the most quote unquote, you know, powerful symbol there is, uh, if it doesn't speak to you, if it doesn't have personal meaning, if it doesn't like like your favorite song, you know, that, that speaks to you on that deep, deep level. It doesn't, if it doesn't hit you in that way, then it doesn't matter what it is because it's not going to make that connection. Mm-hmm. It's not going to facilitate much of anything than waving your hands around and, you know, pantomiming, you know, whatever ritual you're doing. Um, you know, if it isn't first hitting you on that very, very basic core at your roots and shaking them, you know, if that isn't happening, then 
Yeah. The, the rest is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know when, like, the hat became more prominent into trying to channel into the divinities? <laughs> I, I, you know, I should have brushed up on my Fez history. No, it's She keeps coming back to that. I love the hat. But, I mean, but, you know, when, I, I, when, when a lot of... her, Frank. It's hitting her. <laughs> well, um, I feel like a lot of people, when you get into this stuff, one of the first people you hit is is Aleister Crowley, right? Oh, and yeah, yeah. some of like the most famous images of him are wearing his little well, like triangle yeah, hat. Tri- yeah. Yes. Yeah, and he's doing the, the yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, but to. then you can also again coming back to music, Devo has the power dome. <laughs> they have the upside down uh, pop. I'm just pop saying, yes. like you know, Which, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but those pretty much are fez hats, right? Yes, I mean, yeah. Yeah. yes, so the and Devo I mean, fez. And they're called power domes. They're like, called power on. domes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see Devo in a totally different light. Oh, no, I am, what I, were they whipping? <laughs> I, I am now a Devo devotee. Yeah, yes. devotee. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. And yeah, we're pretty much at our hour, Frank. Oh my God. Oh, I, feel, I feel like we're just getting started. We are. Are just are. getting started, and that's why we're gonna need a part two. Okay, <laughs> so, right. so part two, I, I can actually get into the nitty gritty. Yes, yeah. that's when we're gonna. I yeah. mean, this was just a, a quick scratch on the surface, really. But I mean, we are talking about something that is so vast, like yeah. you've said so so often, like yeah. it crosses. <laughs> all of time and all of the cultures, and and we're trying to get some kind of grasp of it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I did that today. <laughs> I think I just rambled a lot more than anything. I don't know if I gave any clarity. My apologies. But hey, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> Frank, let the people know where they can find you on all the all the things. So we are Curio Canem's House of Curiosities. We're located at 5924 South Congress. We are in building number two, unit number 23. Now, when you drive up, you will see a bunch of gray buildings and you'll think, what am I doing in this condo complex? (laughs) Well, let me explain. Uh, So it's a newfangled thing that's been popping up all over the nation. Uh, Basically, where they have uh, condos in the back and businesses in the front, it's basically the lamest mullet ever. (laughs) Uh, No, but but they've got the the condos in the back and and businesses along the front. That's where we are, along the front. So our front door actually faces South Congress. Now, when we are open, uh, you will know it is us when you see a six or no eight foot tall toff oh, uh, yeah. Egyptian god statue that stands out welcoming you as you you drive <laughs> by um, and and that's where you can find us check uh, uh, your parking and yeah we're 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 right here so if you see a big gray block that you're like this can't possibly be it uh look in the window and see if you see cool window curtains and then know. uh no and look for toth and that's how you'll know you're in the right place yeah it's like walking through like a a different dim- into a different dimension because yeah, you're yeah. out in this like cold corporate like mm-hmm. you know parking yeah, yeah. lot and then you walk in and it's fucking magic oh <laughs> thank you and that and thank you yeah that that's 
part of the idea actually is, you know, I, I joke sometimes and I say that, you know, where we are is terrible from a marketing perspective, but it's awesome from an experience yes, uh, because, yeah. you know, you, you, like you said, you know, it's just this really drab gray, you know, on the outside because, you know, we have an HOA and I can't do anything. Else. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but when you come inside the juxtaposition, I think is, is, you know, a pleasantly jarring, hopefully pleasantly jarring experience, uh, you know, where you walk in and, you know, brighter colors. Well, definitely on the bottom floor, when you come up to the second floor, it's a little bit darker. Uh, but uh, on on the, the bottom floor, you know, you've you've got something that I, I hope is a little bit more lively uh, than anything. But one of the ideas that we always wanted to do was that, to have a space where when you came to it, it felt like you were stepping off the crossroads of, you know, the mundane life that, you know, you know, tends to go on, you know, the the very, okay, you wake up and you do this and you have to have responsibilities and everything else. And, you know, I, I think in, in, especially as you get older, you know, the having the opportunity to just let the imagination run amok, you know, a little bit and, and kind of explore wild and crazy ideas and stuff like that, uh, tends, we're dissuaded from that. And, and it's too bad because, you know, I, I think, the imaginative and creative and intuitive faculties are things that are just as important as the rational intellectual you know endeavors and you know really if you look at it historically it's those times when we find the balance between the two is when we collectively as, as humans have done amazing things you know, go to the moon. Holy, what kind of sci-fi is that? Well, crap, <laughs> check that off the list. You know, I mean, um, imagine the amount of just creativity and imagination and everything that went into making that happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was only possible because it embraced and and enhanced all the faculties that we have, in in, in particular the creative, imaginative, intuitive. Uh, so yes. Uh, all that to say, come on in. <laughs> Frank, you do a beautiful Good job, job here. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> also, so make yes. sure to check him out on Instagram. Yes, yes. Instagram, Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Any other social platforms? You TikTok, know, we, right? we technically have a TikTok, but I got it in here. I'm giving away my age, too. I really don't have a clue when it comes to taste. So, hey, if anybody wants to take over our TikTok, man. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of yeah, work. I don't, I work. don't even. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I, I've posted like, I think, five things on there ever, you know, and, and you know, it's like a couple like, okay, I guess I don't know what the hell yeah. I'm doing. So, yeah. So, anybody that understands TikTok, man, I help, reach out. Help, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Come um, take videos of this cool shit in here. I don't know. Give me some of that. Tell me what to, because I, I don't have a clue. That's okay. awesome. Well, awesome. Thanks so much, Frank, for hanging out with us. Thank yeah, you for letting us you. hang out in your beautiful yes. shop. This is, this so is awesome. fantastic. No, thank you. And I can't wait for part two with you. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to it. Yay! Yay. More rambling. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Thank you. Heck yeah. Awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> Frank is not from Earth, y'all. <laughs> he really is from like another dimension or something, and it's fucking awesome. Uh, what a great, like, I don't know, time. I really enjoyed listening to him talk about just occultism. 
Yeah, man. It was just really good. And I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity. And what I'm even more excited about is that this is just the beginning, baby. Yeah. There's so much more. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot more more deeper and deeper. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a great conversation. If you ever want to go and learn or talk about occultism or anything in the world of magics, definitely hit them up. Oh, yeah. Go, go chat with Frank. Go chat with Consuelo. Um, you know, buy some merch and do some spells. Oh, <laughs> sounds like a fun day. <laughs> uh, but still, so much, bro. Uh, definitely it makes me tired and weak. Bro, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> That's Quinn's baby. Take a big, deep breath in. Release that mother sucker. You are cleansed. I needed that, man. Officially. <laughs> Anyways, until next time, everyone. Are huge. I'm Bethany. And I'm Leah. And we're signing off with two besitos. From these besitos. <laughs> know this episode was recorded with covid masks on and dogs barking in the background because we are house sitting <laughs>